0: Well, I'm so glad you see things my way now. You know what I see? What? This big,
1: honking booger hanging out of your left nostril.
0: If I was you, I'd use this finger to pick it out.
1: In a post-apocalyptic wasteland, one woman fights back against the evil men hoarding the world's water. Join us as we discuss getting DJ Ski Masked, the difference between holograms and astral projections, and if this movie is in fact a stoner film. Then we find out if 1995's Tank Girl stands the test of time. It's the test of time, James and Allen have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says, gladiator with the
0: glut, Alan says, as a father, blah, blah.
1: It's the test of time, James and Alan have to say, do the movies you love still hold up today. Test of time, James and Alan have to say, do the movies you
0: love still hold up today. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Test of Time podcast. My name is Alan Noah, and your name is James Brief. Wait, what's my name again? Your name is James Brief. Did you say James
1: Webb, as in the James Webb Space Telescope, the next generation space telescope that
0: is unbelievable and I am ready to talk about it for hours? You know full goddamn well that's not what I said. And you can talk about it for as many hours as you want after we're done talking about Tank Girl and we have stopped recording and I have left. Then you can talk about it all you want. So
1: if there's ever an after-podcast show called, like, and Test of Time, hosted by James Rafe, Alan Noah does not participate in this podcast.
0: Sure, you could start that podcast. I would maybe even listen to it once in a while, but I'm not helping you. All
1: right, well, if you're not going to help me that, let me ask you this. Have you ever heard of the story of a product called Juicero? no. Or possibly as Juicero. I have no idea. Well that
0: sounds better.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, this was this weird unicorn of a Silicon Valley startup that basically wanted to be the Keurig cups of fresh juices. Keurig makes all their money because you have to use Keurig uh, refills. It, the money isn't in the machine that you buy. The money's in all the refills that you're buying. And Keurig gets a couple cents from Dunkin' Donuts or who are Starbucks, whoever makes them. Right. And so this company wanted to do the same thing. And you had to have a subscription to their products and you had to use their machine. And... They would send you these packets of some kind of liquid in there. You put it in the machine, out would come juice. But then people found out that the machine actually really did nothing. People found out that all you had to do was get these bags of juice and just squeeze it into your glass. And that's all there was to Juicero. Yeah, it was the chutzpah of them to sell this three, four, dollars $500 machine, but also... All they're selling you is packets of juice, but it was also on a subscription model. That's the thing about the Keurig cups because, you know, you buy a Keurig machine, you are tied to getting ones that are licensed by the company, but... You can stop using it for a month or two and nothing happens. You don't owe anyone anything, but not with these recurring models. You know, the reason I even thought of this whole Juicero thing is because of this. I think I read in the news about a BMW
0: model. Uh, did you hear about this, Al? Yeah, that you have to, like, pay an extra fee if you want to have, like, the seat warmer feature.
1: Yeah, and, you know, cars since the creation of cars have always had the features of, like, hey, if you want the... uh the DVD player is on the rear seat. You can pay extra. That makes sense. Like, you know, you put it in, you got to pay for it. But this is the kind of thing where it's like, it's here. All the material is there, but you have to unlock software. That's an annoying thing because it's right there and you're just locked out of it.
0: Yeah, that just feels like a annoying, frustrating thing if you're buying the car. And by the way, it's a BMW. then. You know, if you're going to pay for the car and you're going to have monthly car payments, you know, presumably, or maybe you're very wealthy and you don't have uh, monthly payments. But like, yeah, if you're paying for the feature, you should get the feature. It should be noted, though, that that's not a thing that they're doing with American cars. They're only doing it in South Korea, although they're only doing it in South Korea for now. And maybe if it turns out to be a profitable thing, they might move it to America. Oh, I mean,
1: this is a recurring revenue model. I mean, that's what every single uh, venture capital firm wants to hear. You know, the classic business model is that it's not the razor that you want to sell. It's the razor blades. That's the classic model? You know, you don't make money by selling the the razor handle. You can't put other uh, razor blades on a Gillette razor head. I am basically a subscriber to Gillette for over 10 years. What razor do you use,
0: Al? I subscribe to the Dollar Shave Club, which is an actual subscription. To your point, I mean, yeah, it's a thing that you just see more and more of. And, yeah, it kind of makes my life easier. You know, buying the razors is sometimes annoying at the drugstore when, you know, they have to, like, unlock the case or whatever. Um This might be eye roll worthy, but like all of my workout stuff, like the protein powder that I use, like that's a subscription that comes once a month. And you know, if I don't work out that much one month, I can delay it and whatever, but it's still nice that it just arrives when I need it. There's a lot of things like
1: that that make sense, but it could also be kind of a scam in something like a Juicera where you don't need to use this machine at all. You don't need their recurring revenue, but they might be tricking you into doing it. I automatically subscribe to uh, renewnixmarathon.com and nixmarathon.org, and those I'm perfectly fine with. But I'll tell you, there's a couple other domain names that I have registered over the years that I'm like, ugh. That renewed, you know, it's it's only like thirteen dollars for another year. I'm like, all right, I'll I'll like turn that off. Or even the gym, we've done, you know, one more time at the gym that we didn't really use it that month, so we finally cut it off.
0: So I'm just saying, be careful what you're subscribing to. You know what I do if I have like a free trial of something and, you know, I know that I'm going to want to cancel by a certain point, I'll put a alert in my Google calendar. So that way I'll remember because otherwise I'll forget. I might miss the email reminder, whatever. So if I have the thing in the calendar, then I'll get the alert. of like, oh yeah, I need to cancel that. And I do that right away when I sign up so that it doesn't slip through the cracks.
1: That is amazing. That is a hot tip. Uh, putting reminders on a calendar fantastic Uh yeah what other hot tips do you have on our podcast of
0: life pro tips uh, that's not what this podcast is about. This podcast is about movies. This episode is about the movie Tank Girl specifically. And the reason that we're talking about Tank Girl today is because my co-worker, Tomic Gross, I'll give him a shout out, he was telling me about this movie because he knows that I have the podcast, and he was watching this movie on the plane when he came into New York. I saw him right before we recorded last week's episode, the Flight Plan episode, And he was telling me all about this movie and it just sounded so bonkers and crazy and out there. I was like, you have made me want to watch this movie just to see it, just to experience this thing, which I was like, maybe I've seen it. And then I watched like a couple of seconds of it today and I was like, no, I saw none of this. I have never seen this movie. And yeah, it is like really a sight to behold, you know? Bonkers is a really good way to describe this movie. I don't
1: know this uh, particular comic book uh, that it's based on. Apparently, it's a a British uh,
0: graphic novel or a comic book series. Have you ever read it or or heard of it? No, I have never read it, and I i had only heard of the movie, and I knew that it was based on a comic book, but I have no experience with the comic book. And just to explain what the movie is for people who haven't seen it, it's set in a dystopian future, the year 2033, after a comet caused Earth to become a desolate, barren desert. Water is scarce, and all that remains is controlled by the evil Water and Power Corporation. A group of outlaws is siphoning water, so Water and Power attacks their compound. They kill almost everyone there, but they take one prisoner, Rebecca. After being tortured by Water and Power's leader, Kesley, Rebecca is eventually able to escape. She steals a tank, hence the name Tank Girl, and teams up with another former Water and Power prisoner, Jet Girl. Then they meet the Rippers, a group of human-kangaroo hybrids, and they work together to take down Water and Power. So I hadn't ever seen this movie, but I am pretty sure that it was a flop, right? It, like, came out and did terribly. You know, when
1: we were kids, there were a couple notorious flops. I remember uh, Ishtar.
0: Oh, um, I really want to do Ishtar.
1: Yeah, that film. And there was often a big bomb of the summer, like Speed 2. That's this year's bomb of the summer. You know, uh, sorry, it's uh, Speed 2 colon Cruise Control. Thank you. And... uh, yeah, so this film, I remember being a big flop and that's just what you remembered about it. It was uh, starring Lori Petty, uh, and you knew her from Point Break, and she was the sister who's not Gina
0: Davis in uh, A League of Their Own. Yeah, yeah, and she's very good in A League of Their Own, and from what I remember, like in the beginning of Point Break, she's like a total badass, and then at the end, they kind of make her like a damsel in distress, which is annoying, but in both of those movies, A League of Their Own and Point Break, she was a co-star, and in this movie, she is the star.
1: Oh, well, there was another film I knew her from, actually. Do you know the other film? She was a a co-star, and the star was two, maybe 4,000, 5,000 pounds.
0: Oh, you mean Free Willy. Free Willy, yeah. Uh, I've never seen Free Willy. We'll have to do that on the podcast at some point. Well, if you've ever seen the trailer for Free Willy, you've seen Free Willy. I mean, I've seen the poster. Exactly. (laughs) If you watch the poster. Also, the title is kind of a spoiler, right? That they Free Willy. No, that's fair because it's the operation to Free Willy.
1: But I they show it on the poster. So, but anyway, right. that's what I also knew her from. And you're exactly right. This was Lori Petty's shot at stardom. You know, sometimes people just get this shot and it just doesn't work out. You know, it kind of reminds me of that actor Taylor Kitsch. He was in Friday Night Lights. Uh, mm-hmm. He was. Uh, he's a good actor. He had unfortunately two back-to-back financial flops. Um, he was in that movie John Carter and then he was in that movie over the summer battleship and that was kind of that summer's big
0: flop Also, Taylor Kitsch was in the second season of True Detective, which was like the really, really bad season. So that probably also hurt his stock just, you know, by association, even though he was fine in it. It wasn't his fault that that season sucked. That totally sucks. (laughs) Because I've never seen True Detective, but I've
1: heard first season, amazing, second season, not good. And then I believe it got better again.
0: Yeah, yeah. Season three is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Seasons one and three are amazing, ah, uh, but two is god awful. Oh, yeah, I know.
1: It's not only missing a film. You know, you might be allowed a flop or so, but it's sometimes just a f- certain film gets press for being a flop. And I remember Tank Girl being a flop. That's all I really remembered from it, uh, other than it
0: being uh, Lori Petty and based on a comic book film. I didn't realize that Ice-T was in this movie, and that Naomi Watts was in this movie, and that Malcolm McDowell was in this movie. Malcolm McDowell, uh, he is Fantastic. I mean, he was in
1: A Clockwork Orange, yeah. uh, but uh, he's always kind of this really creepy bad guy, sort of in your Terrence Stamp and uh, the late Christopher Lee, kind of these really creepy guys. Malcolm McDowell, he gives it his all, and I loved him in this. I would just say he was great in this. I think the producers got
0: 100% of what they paid for for him. Um, I don't know about that, though, because he is gone for like most of the movie he is attacked i don't know maybe like 30, 40 minutes into the movie and then he has to go through like this surgery and we don't really know exactly what the surgery is but we know it's something with his face because he's wearing a mask. Then the doctor comes in and cuts his head off and then every time you see him for the next whatever it is, 40, 50 minutes of the movie, his face is obstructed. So it's like Is that Malcolm McDowell? I mean, we hear his voice, so we know that, you know, he dubbed it, but it was just a stand-in. And I was like, did they just, like, lose him? Was he only available on set for, like, a week, so they had to, like, do this to work around it? Maybe this is something that happens in the comic book. I have no idea. But it just made me think of Bradley Cooper in the Wet Hot American Summer prequel, Did you see that? Oh, that was hysterical. Uh, I know exactly what you're referring to. Yeah, when they, like, basically wrote him out by saying, oh, you'll be at that party later. Yeah, I'm DJ Ski Mask. So, yeah, then his character is there, but Bradley Cooper isn't. That's basically what I figured they did with uh, Malcolm McDowell here. I mean, that's possible that he was
1: DJ Ski Masked, but um, from what I've (laughs) read about this film over the past week, it was kind of a disaster behind the scenes. It was chopped up again and again, and the directors said that there's as much as an hour cut out of this film. The creators of Tank Girl, they said that there were entire parts that were either cut out or that weren't filmed at all uh, that make no sense. And aside from just these little tiny segues you'll notice that there's entire scenes that are animated
0: and that's because these were not filmed i have to say i'm a little bit skeptical that they just forgot to film certain scenes and then they animated them
1: not necessarily forgot i think uh maybe they just didn't work out or some of the special effects they just didn't have the money or there's no post-production money to make them work
0: so they just had to animate it Well, I say forgot because I did read that word in one of the things I saw where the creators were like, yeah, they forgot to film. I'm like, I don't think they forgot. Yeah, there were probably other limitations or just stylistically, because it was based on a comic book, they wanted to have some comic book stuff in there, which conveniently some of those scenes would have been very, very expensive and difficult to shoot live action. And oh, conveniently, it's an animated sequence, which is much 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 cheaper so yeah you got to figure that some real life considerations played a role there
1: absolutely and it's a live action film but throughout the film uh the, the entire credits are intercut with what i assume and i believe i'm correct this is the actual artwork and art style from the tank girl comics i don't know but sure let's go with that I think it is, and there's a lot of like rock and roll, um, uh, what do you call those, segues? Interstitials, kind of. I'm thinking of the old Batman uh, show, where they would just go, and just flash a bat symbol at the screen while they change scenes. You know what I'm talking about? What are those called in TV? Like a transition. So they do these transitions, and I think this is actually kind of cool. I liked seeing the art, and then they show the live action, and... The makeup and the costume was really well done here. And I'm like, this is cool. It's a very interesting style. And I'm not sure it really worked in the way that uh, she wanted it to. This is definitely pre-the modern
0: comic book movie, I would say, formula. Yeah, this is from the mid-'90s when— Hollywood was trying to figure out how to make comic book movies. And the big comic book movies of that time were the Batman movies. And honestly, like, there is some stuff in Tank Girl that kind of veers into Batman and Robin territory where it's just, like, over-the-top silly and you don't really know, am I supposed to be laughing at this or not?
1: Forget Batman and Robin, this movie comes out March 31st, uh, 1995. What big summer film would be released like three months later? Uh, the one before Batman and Robin, Batman Forever? That's right, yeah. There are similarities between those films, probably much more so with uh, Batman and Robin. But this film is silly, and it doesn't really take itself that seriously. Tank Girl will be like talking to someone she kind of has to fight and she's just giving uh, these one-liners that are not like a James Bond one-liners, but she's not even really that scared that she can be killed. She's kind of uh, skipping around the room. That's at least the attitude that Either the director took or Laurie Petty took or maybe that's the character in the comics. I don't know. But it's not even like a Guardians of the Galaxy kind of thing because even that is rooted in a little bit more seriousness and at least the danger that you could be in than this film seems to be.
0: Yeah, I was thinking of like Guardians of the Galaxy, Iron Man, like a lot of the Marvel movies where the hero is fighting the bad guy and there are stakes, but they still make these quips and these one liners. And this movie just does more of the wisecracks. And that's fine but then sometimes she's also like a hero because she goes and saves the little girl that's her friend and she has to do the right thing and rescue her from the evil madam at the brothel but sometimes she's also like an anti-hero and she doesn't mind like killing bad guys and whatever so the tone is kind of all over the map in terms of who this character is
1: Oh, absolutely. And people in the 90s, they, they were associating comic book with children, maybe Mad Magazine. And you know it wasn't until things like uh, Mouse came out and uh, maybe even things like uh, Watchmen and some of the more serious comic books like uh, Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller. This is not the 1960s Batman show with uh, Adam West or those 80s uh, Christopher Reeve films that were you know kind of ridiculous, Superman. Three and four, comics were still not taken seriously, and people usually say that the formula for the modern comic book it has its origin, spiritual origins in uh, Richard Donner's Superman one, but people generally say that uh, Brian Singer's X Men in 1998 and Sam Raimi's uh, Spider Man in 2002 kind of cemented the the right amount of jokes, humor, special effects, and seriousness, and you know, kind of a Hans Zimmer kind of score for comics that you kind of see today. Have you ever seen Ang Lee's Hulk? Maybe. I'm not sure. I was thinking of that film when I was watching Tank Girl because – I assume he was trying to film a comic book. And there is a really interesting scene where there's some kind of action sequence. And instead of watching it on the big screen, it kind of zooms out and they're on little comic book panels. The animation goes from one panel to the next, the way you kind of read it. It's very interesting. But, you know, it turns out that's not necessarily what. People want, when we say a comic book film, we read it in a comic, we like this character, now I want to see it in a different medium. And I think that this film kind of tries to take the comic book part of it, or or even the graphic novel, whatever you want to call it, a little bit too literally, because my guess is a lot of these one-liners that Tank Girl says are straight out of the comic book. But I feel like some of the one-liners that were a little corny- Just would have landed a lot better and maybe just had to be changed a little bit for for the movie.
0: Well, so you're talking about comic book movies and you're sort of using that term almost like interchangeably with superhero movies, which I'm not blaming you for or giving you shit for because virtually every comic book movie now is a superhero movie. But there can be a difference, like 300, which we watched not that long ago. That's a movie based on a comic book and has a very comic aesthetic, but they're not superheroes. Or maybe you could argue that they kind of are. And you could argue that maybe Tank Girl is a superhero. But that actually brings up a question that I was going to ask you. If you had to describe this movie with just a genre, or you could use like a couple of genres, like how would you classify Tank Girl? I call it an action comedy. Okay. See, I was thinking about that question a lot, and I don't really know what genre to put it in. Action comedy is fine. Comic book movie, superhero movie. Well, superhero movie, I I mean, I guess if you call the Punisher a superhero, but I mean, it doesn't have any superpowers. But so if this movie isn't a straight superhero movie, and it's kind of a comic book movie when they're figuring out what a comic book movie is— it almost kind of seems like a parody movie leaning more heavily on the comedy aspect than the action. And I was thinking about Mad Max Fury Road when I watched this, because in that movie, there's a dystopian future and there's uh, evil bad guys and there's very little water and a badass female character. Like, it almost kind of feels like if... Mad Max Fury Road came out first, and then Tank Girl came out a year or two later, this would be a parody. You know, it's almost like a parody of that kind of movie and this kind of, like, genre. That's a really interesting take. I'm not sure if Frank Miller took inspiration from this film, but um, it's possible. I feel like I read something that said that uh, this movie is cited as an inspiration for a lot of movies, including Mad Max Fury Road, which when I read that, I was like, well, yeah, I totally see that. But while I'm trying to like put this movie in a box and give it a genre, there was one thing that really kind of hit me. I feel like it was maybe halfway or three quarters of the way through the movie where I was like, oh, I know what kind of movie this is. This is a stoner movie. It's different than Harold and Kumar go to White Castle or Super Troopers or like a Cheech and Chong movie where the characters in the movie are getting high. But maybe this is a movie where you, the audience member are supposed to be high. And I actually did see a thing uh, that there was one of the many deleted scenes from this movie did show Tank Girl getting high with her boyfriend in the beginning.
1: Oh, they're totally smoking something. Don't they grab someone's uh, pipe of some
0: sort and then smoke it at one point? Oh, maybe, yeah. But it's not like a big feature of the movie. But there were a couple of scenes where I was like... Would this be hilarious if I was high? Like, there are the Rippers, right? The half man, half kangaroos, and they are like interrogating Tank Girl and Jet Girl and Everything that they are saying in that scene is just bizarre, and it's kind of funny when they're, like, talking about tattoos, and why would you get tattoos with letters? That's weird. I'd want, like, a dragon, and I say we should kill these girls. No, I say we should let them go. No, I say we should have crumpets and tea. Oh, yes, crumpets and tea. That would be lovely. Like, what the fuck? It's so weird, and I was like, oh, maybe you're just supposed to be high, and then you think this is the funniest thing in the world, listening to these half-men, half-kangaroo talk about crumpets and tea. I don't know. I mean, like, did you get any kind of stoner movie vibe from it? Not really, because the film is not as much comedy
1: as you'd expect from a film like that. I think a stoner film is more of the dude Where's my car kind of genre. Um, I don't see it that genre. But it's interesting. You bring up the uh, Rippers, and it turns out that there's some kind of army experiment with uh, fusing DNA with other animals. I didn't realize that the special effects of this film were done by Sam Winston, the late Sam Winston. Do you know who he was? Yeah, he was a special effects guy. Yeah, I mean, he was, like, the special effects guy. I mean, he did everything from Terminator, Predator, Iron Man. Uh, he won the Oscar for Aliens. He won two Oscars for Best Visual Effects and Best Makeup for Terminator 2, colon, Judgment Day. He did the Best Visual Effects for Jurassic Park. And he was also nominated for uh, The Lost World, Batman Returns, Makeup, and Edward Scissorhands. And Sam Winston was so good, and... The kangaroo-human hybrids, they looked like kangaroo-human hybrids. And uh, I think they looked awesome. The makeup was great. Um, I don't necessarily think they worked in this particular film as characters. I I feel like they were building up to this big reveal uh, as if we were supposed to go, wow, look at these kangaroo guys at the end. It was a weird sci-fi twist at the end. I could even take the surgery and getting a cybernetic uh, razor arm because that really does seem kind of inevitable within the next century. It it was a weird turn for me, even for this film. It should have been at least introduced earlier. Fine. There are half kangaroo people. And they could say earlier that they're mean and they're horrible and they'll rip you to shreds, and you could find out later that they're actually good. That's fine, but... I found it strange, and then, uh, you know, she has a relationship with them, and these guys are horny, would be the most polite way of saying it, and they (laughs) are kind of sexual assaulters in other ways. One of them tries to mic up Tank Girl and goes, oh, whoops, I slipped, and just, like, grabs her boobs, or I think it was Jet Girl,
0: maybe he does that too. Yeah, that was Jet Girl. I didn't interpret that as like he was trying to like grab her breasts. I thought he was just like having a hard time with the microphone because he has like hooves for hands.
1: Well, I mean, there were other scenes where they're like, all right, girls, you're going to come out. You're going to make this statement and you have to strip first. Hey, wait a second. That's not what they're supposed to do. Oh, okay, You don't have to strip. Yeah. When they were unconscious at one point, the bad guys, they're like, I'll bet we could have a lot of fun with them. And, you know, that's the point in uh, the film where they're supposed to wake up and kick the guys in the balls. But no, it fades to black and the girls are kind of beaten up a little and on a helicopter. So it's like, are you implying that all the bad guys kind of... Took these women but that's the water and power guys that's not the rippers that do that uh correct the the, the water and power guys yes definitely had the rapey vibe i really think that what they were going for was these guys are trapped underground and it's kind of more of like 80s frat humor uh there were musical montages it was not anything offensive to me i'm saying seeing it with a 2022 lens i was like that's an interesting scene here because uh they would at least probably get a slap in the face for doing that today some of the things they did
0: yeah. Like they're giving them nitrous oxide and like getting the girls to pass out. And yeah, they are definitely like interested in having sex with them. And Tank Girl does have sex with one of the Rippers apparently there was all of this stuff that was shot that didn't make it into the movie where you see the Ripper's penis and it was this very expensive prosthetic that they built and all of the special effects people thought it looked great but then the studio didn't like it and you know it's kind of verging on bestiality and this was one of the things that Tomek uh, told me about when he was describing the movie to me. It's like, oh yeah, you know I'm watching this on the plane and the woman's like having sex with a kangaroo person and you know then I have to shield my screen so that you know the kid behind me doesn't see the movie and i was expecting that scene to be more graphic apparently the studio heads made it far less graphic it's really only implied that they sleep together you don't even see them kissing but like it's weird and bizarre and look i don't know where you draw the line on bestiality if it's like a half man half kangaroo hybrid does that count i don't know that's not for me to judge this is a judgment-free zone you know we don't judge here But the Water and Power guys are much more rapey, like you're saying. Tank Girl fights back against all of those guys. It kind of gave off vibes of a Promising Young Woman. Did you see that movie? I did not, no. It was really fucking good. You know, like, some movies have all the hyperbole and the hype and like, oh, it's so amazing. But, like, that one I thought was worthy of that praise. But, like, these men are going after these women and— Tank Girl and then later Jet Girl are like, no, we're not going to take your bullshit. And they get their revenge. And that could also be another genre that this movie falls into, a revenge movie.
1: I agree. I agree. Uh, There's a scene when Tank Girl, she goes for a shower and you can't shower. I presume the rich people probably can. Uh, Malcolm McDowell can shower. But the poor people, they can't shower. And instead, they get this uh, weird, like, dusting. She was acting like she was getting showered with water.
0: Well, the whole thing about the world is, you know, a desert and there's no water. Like, I get that. And I think that is totally believable. I just watched the uh, the John Oliver thing from a few weeks ago about, like, how there's a massive drought in the Southwest. And they're just building more golf courses. Like, you know, stop doing that. So, imagining a future where there's no water sure i buy that but in this movie they say that there's no water because there was a comet and that took me out of it because i'm like well wait is that what would happen if a comet hits the earth would there be no more water would it not rain for 11 years i think is what they say like I don't know, a comet that big has never hit the Earth in my lifetime. And what happened 65 million years ago when the comet wiped out the dinosaurs? Was water scarce? There was a huge dust ball that engulfed the
1: Earth. And the and the entire planet was under dust for a while. And that kills the plant life. This goes down the food chain. Some stuff survives an enormous amount of uh, plant and animal life died, I guess maybe the dust could have settled in fresh water, but I I doubt that would have, like, poisoned all the water. So I can't think of a scenario that would have poisoned all the water, but uh, I didn't really mind it. But now that I think about it, you're right. I don't know why a comet would cause uh, a desert, like, 10 years later.
0: Right. I just feel like if they had said, it's the future and there's no more water period, I would have been okay with that. I almost feel like the Comet over-explained it to me, uh, but maybe that's just because I saw that John Oliver thing. Um, We should take a minute and talk about the soundtrack, because I think the soundtrack for this movie is pretty damn cool. There's just a lot of, like, 90s female-fronted bands on the soundtrack. There's Hole, there's Portishead, Veruca Salt. The Joan Jett cover of Let's Do It... I thought was really cool. Like, I really like that version of the song. It's a little bit of a weird part of the movie when they're rescuing the young girl from the brothel and then they have to do this live rendition of Let's Do It. You know, it's like a full-on musical number that's weird and bizarre. And again, also kind of lends credence to my whole theory that maybe this is a stoner movie in disguise. But like, the soundtrack is, I think, pretty cool.
1: When I heard the credits, the opening credits, which were cool in a visual sense because it was all the comic book visuals, and I got a sense of, oh, this is kind of a in-your-face comic book, I'm sure. I didn't really love the opening credits song. I, I thought it was fine. I wish it was a little bit better. The song that plays in the opening credits is Girl You Want by Devo. That's an awesome song. I actually thought the visuals better than the song. And I didn't know the song. I didn't know who it was. Uh, and I was like, it's not bad. I actually wrote down,
0: it's a generic 90s song. Also, Army of Me by Bjork. I am not a huge Bjork fan. But like, I did recognize that song. And that was one of the songs that was like from this movie. Although after the movie bombed, the music video didn't have anything from Tank Girl in it because you know they didn't want to associate with it <laughs> uh but whatever bjork's going to be fine.
1: You know, there was one other scene I, I did like. Um, this is a part where they had to get some evidence that the Water and Power people were stockpiling weapons or something, and they had to get their cameras really close. So she dresses in what I would describe as looking like a fashion mogul, and you know, kind of looks like the Anna Wintour look with the sunglasses and talking with a you know an air of uh, sophistication and just barges in with a jet girl and tells the guys that they're doing a calendar shoot for Water and Power and they take pictures of the guns. I like the scene cuz this is the tone I wish that the film consistently had do you remember there was a part in the beginning where there's this guy that she's in love with he has this great like 90s uh heart throbby uh ball cut and then he gets gunned down like in front of her like right through the window and there's no mourning there's no anything there's no this is my motivation for killing the water and power people it was an inconsistent uh theme for this film
0: well, I think the character of Tank Girl is inconsistent in this movie, where, like, you know, her motivations and her actions and the way she responds to the world around her changes rapidly. But
1: I would have just kept that out. Like, I would have been fine with her instead of it's the the murder of her lover. She's the kind of girl that when Water and Power came and said, work for us, she would go, what? Hell no. That's lame. You know, some 90s one-liner. And that would honestly be enough motivation for her. She doesn't want to work for the man. That's it. And uh, she likes the Rippers. They have uh, good music and good food. By the way, for living
0: underground, they had beautiful vegetables and salads, I have to say. That is a good point. But there are a lot of things in this movie that they kind of bring up and then drop and then don't really go anywhere. Like, they talk about how they're going to infiltrate the water and power compound at the end of the movie, and Jet Girl needs to get an ID code from some other pilot, and, like, that... Happens off camera. We never see them do that. So then why even mention it? They talk about that there's a minefield and it's going to be really difficult for Tank Girl to drive her tank across. So then she's kind of like in a parachute behind the tank, but there's no explosions in the minefield. So don't mention a minefield if you're not going to see things blow up. Like they didn't have to put that in the script and they did. And then it's anticlimactic when you don't see the thing you're expecting. Also, the whole character quote-unquote of johnny prophet who is like the leader of the rippers i thought they were like building him up to be someone important because they just keep mentioning him over and over again and then the payoff is that the leader of water and power malcolm mcdowell's character has him killed and they just find his body in a box it's just like oh that's the thing with johnny prophet that's pretty fucking lame right it was all off camera yeah, there's just so much stuff that happens off camera that they don't even like do like an animated sequence with. It's just like, "Oh, well then why'd you fucking mention it?" And then that kind of makes me think that maybe they did actually forget to film some scenes, even though I said before that they probably didn't. Maybe they did. Maybe they just plum forgot.
1: Yeah, um, th- there is a later death that uh, I did think was interesting. The fight with uh, Malcolm McDowell's character, right when Tank Girl says some one-liner and she's about to like chop off his head, we find out his head isn't his head. It's a hologram. And where have we seen this before? Where have we seen this in the podcast?
0: A head that's a hologram?
1: Well, um, you think you're going to kill someone, and it's just a hologram. I don't know. Um, for one thing, The Last Jedi— Oh, right, right, right.
0: And Escape from L.A. Oh, right. Uh, In The Last Jedi, it wasn't a hologram. It was an astral projection. Yes,
1: exactly. And um, this film is from 1995. Escape from L.A. is from 1996. And a lot of people were accusing The Last Jedi of having stolen the idea from uh, Escape from L.A., but perhaps they stole it from Tank Girl.
0: Really? People were accusing The Last Jedi of ripping off Escape from L.A.? Well, people were
1: saying this big climactic uh, surprise
0: that it was a hologram could have been a ripoff there. Big difference between holograms and astral projections. That's true. But I get your point. All right. But, James, let me ask you. Do you think that Tank Girl stands the test of time? Um, you know,
1: there's some stuff I, I liked in this film. Um I really like the makeup, the special effects, the prosthetics. I thought Sam Winston did a great job. Um, I thought when the film was treating itself, like what you would call, I do I don't—I wouldn't call it a parody, but I would call it more in the Deadpool kind of uh, comedy where Tank Girl kills a few uh, bad guy guards and then the bad guys pull 17 guns on her and she just goes, what? And I actually laughed at that. I thought that's funny. There was a part when she's racing across some battlefield, I think it's the one you are talking about, the minefield, and there's a flame coming out of the back of the tank, I guess, and she's radioing that she's busy, like, cooking a hot dog with the flame, and... I thought that was kind of more Mad Magazine kind of humor, and if this was a, a, a Naked Gun or even one of those scary movie-type parodies of comic book films, that would work perfectly fine, but it's also the film where you know it's implied maybe children are dying, and the lover is killed, and it does get serious, and we talked about this uh, musical number in the middle, and I'm not sure, were these people that she was doing a musical number with, were they all bad guys? Because there's a part where she just, like, kicks two of the men in the balls, like, during the musical number, and they fall over. And I'm like, were they actors in the musical,
0: or are they henchmen? They're guys who are visiting the brothel, and so, therefore, they are probably perverts, I guess, is the rationale.
1: Oh, okay, I just didn't uh, pick up who they were. I thought they were just random people in the dance number, and I'm like, oh, well... That sucks because it's played off as humor. You know, kicking in the balls can be funny. Also, um, ice tea which we, which we talked about, uh, I read and I thought this was hysterical uh, that someone gave him shit about being in Tank Girl on some uh, radio show and he just said, I was paid $800,000 for Tank Girl and the conversation stopped and, yeah. you know, he's barely in it. So what did he work, like two weeks or something like that? that that's fantastic. Um I thought uh, Naomi Watts was uh, charming in this film. I actually didn't know who she was at first because she has this uh you know obviously dyed hair because uh, Naomi Watts is a blonde. So I liked her in it. I liked Malcolm McDowell in it. You know, Lori Petty, I'm not sure if she was the problem in this film because I don't know if A 1995 Sandra Bullock would have made this film any better if I take an actress that I really like. And I'm saying that because, you know, after this film, probably because of the flop of this film, we never really saw her again. Uh, She popped up years later uh, for me. I next saw her on Orange the New Black.
0: And uh, I think she's been here and there. Did you not watch Station Eleven? No. what's, What's that? So that was a show on HBO Max. Again, a lot of hype and hyperbole, but I thought really lived up to it. It kind of rubbed some people the wrong way because it came out last year and it's about humanity surviving a giant global pandemic. So some people kind of thought, oh, maybe that's a little too fucking soon and I don't want to watch that show, but it was really fucking good.
1: Ah, well, I'm glad she's getting work because I liked her in Point Break. Um, She was fine in League of Their Own. I wouldn't say I'm a huge fan of hers, but I don't think she was the problem in this film. It's a really ambitious film that just, uh, you know, tries to run before it can walk. This film really doesn't know what it's trying to be. And I'm going to say this cut, whatever I saw, it's possible that this uh, longer cut that the director made, maybe it made more sense. And over the course, of two and a half hours, I go okay. That's the humor mixed in with drama, like a Deadpool film. But this film just—it it was kind of a mess of emotions. um I'd never seen it before. I don't want to see it again. It doesn't stand the test of time. Charming people in it. There's some charming elements, but just
0: didn't work for me. What do you think,
1: Al? Does it stand the test of time? Has time been kind to it?
0: Um. I agree with you that the movie is all over the map in terms of tone and style and genre and all those things that we were talking about. And it's okay to go in one of those directions, but when you go in all of them at once, it does kind of just feel messy and sloppy and weird. That said, I do think there is a lot about this movie that does stand the test of time. First off, that it's a comic book movie. Those are everywhere now. The fact that it has a female lead, that was, I think, fairly rare in 95 and is more common now. And, you know, the fact that she's basically fighting the patriarchy. Like, that is what she is doing. It's Tank Girl and Jet Girl. Against all of the men at Water and Power, I think that would be a very timely theme that people would get behind now. Possibly more than they did in 95, I would think.
1: I I agree that the the evil corporation uh, has aged well. Can I ask a question on that? I forgot to bring it up. The uh, the leader of Water and Power, why is he so obsessed with getting Tank Girl to work for him? That's a common uh, trope in movies, but usually it's because they have some power or there's some combination to a safe they know or some skill. Why is he obsessed with getting her to agree to
0: work for him? Is that ever explained? No, it's not. And you're right. That is a giant question. It just seems to be because he wants to win. And he says that explicitly. I win. No, I win. I'm going to win. No, I'm going to win. Like, there's just this battle of wills that he needs to win. Why? Who the fuck knows? Why is it not enough for him that he owns 98% of the water and he needs all 100%? Who the fuck knows? There's a lot of questions that remain unanswered. But getting back to the things that do stand the test of time, like I said, the fact that she's a wisecracking heroine, the fact that there's a future with no water, all of that stuff, I think, does work today. And you could make a movie with all of those things in it today. But really, I agree with you that the movie is just so messy, so sloppy, so all over the place. It kind of gives you whiplash, just like, what? is this movie. And I think it's fine to have a movie that like defies genre, and you don't even really know how to classify it. You don't know what kind of label to put on it. That's great. I love movies like that. It should be noted that If you're going to say this movie killed Lori Petty's career, you didn't use those exact words. I'm kind of extrapolating based on what you said. But she has said that she really loves this movie. It has a special place in her heart. She's really happy that she was a part of it. So she doesn't seem to be bitter about it. Uh, Naomi Watts apparently hates it and doesn't ever want to talk about it, which, fine, she's an Oscar-nominated actress. And why would she want to talk about Tank Girl? That's fair. There are a couple of like other random lines that don't really stand the test of time where she talks about like, oh, I don't want to miss Baywatch and oh, let's go to New York and see cats. There's just some one-liners that were probably funnier in 1995 than they are to a 2022 audience. But I agree with you that overall the movie does not stand the test of time. Tomek, I'm still glad that you recommended this movie. I'm still glad that I saw it. In my opinion, it is kind of worth watching just to see it, just to see all of this stuff that's in it, just to see how fucking weird it is. Maybe it's not the best movie to watch on a plane if there's a little kid sitting behind you, but whatever. I would say it is worth watching. Also, maybe it's worth watching High. I don't know, but my guess is that it might be more enjoyable that way. If you know from experience if Tank Girl is better while High, please let us know at Test of Time Pod. I am curious to hear your experience. Do you think anyone's going to say it was worse? Probably not, but maybe. You never know. But that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, we're going to be talking about a movie that just turned 40, Tron. I saw that movie once and thought it was really weird, and I haven't seen it in ages. I'm curious to revisit that one.
1: Um, I saw it a few years ago before Tron and Legacy. Did you see the sequel? I did not. That movie was directed by Joseph Kaczynski. Uh, best known at, today for being the director of Top Gun, colon, Maverick. The guy who directed Tron or Tron Legacy? Uh, he's the guy who directed Tron, colon, Legacy. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay.
0: Well, that'll be fun talking about that movie. As always, we want to hear from you at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you visit testoftimepod.com. Hey, bookmark that. Make that your homepage. The people still do that. The people still make things other than Google their homepage? Probably not. Um, People
1: that uh, go to questionable sites wind up having like wormsearch.com
0: as their (laughs) (laughs) homepage. Oh, okay. Well, if you do want to have a new homepage other than Google, make it testoftimepod.com. Why not? And we will see you next week, everybody. Bye.